The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to take a look at uh, who exactly are the Shriners, uh, and this we'll be exploring through their own secret writings uh, as to what this organization is all about, where it was founded, how it was founded, uh, how it came into being, and uh, what the uh, primary... Um, goals of this organization are. And uh, we may come across some things that might be just a little bit surprising about it. Uh, knowing what we do about the organization today, uh, what we see in the public uh, as to what it is they do. They hold a lot of spaghetti dinners and raise money for children's hospitals and actually uh, operate children's hospitals. And uh, they have a popular shrine circus that goes around all around the country and they raise money for various charity organizations, right? Uh, so this is the external face of the Shriners. And in order to be a Shriner, you have to be a Freemason, as we'll uh, get into here. And you have to be not just a Freemason, but a, a highly degreed Freemason uh, to get into this big club. So, uh, you know, that being the case, uh, what we're going to take a look at the history of this secret brotherhood, this order. Uh, we're going to explore some of the avenues of, as to what some of their uh, foundational uh, teachings are within the organization, what their, uh, the basis of the founding of this group was. And, uh, you know, we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll begin to see some things that uh, may be a little bit shocking to some if you haven't really looked at this. And I'm sure many people out there are probably aware that uh, the Shriners are a, uh, associated with the Freemasonic organizations. They're associated with Freemasonry. And you have to either be a Freemason or a Knight Templar to actually become a Shriner. Uh, so that being the case, <laughs> that some of these things, uh, there's, there's some interesting pathways here. But let's take a look. I'm going to get right into the reading here. We're looking in a book that is actually all about the history of the ancient Arabic order of the nobles of the mystic shrine. And that's what this organization is officially called. It's usually abbreviated A-A-O-N-M-S the ancient Arabic order of the nobles of the mystic shrine, and they're more commonly known as Shriners. And I'm sure you've seen them in their little parades and stuff, wearing their goofy hats with the the, the tassels on them and stuff. It's called a fez. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes they refer to uh, one of the... Uh, 
leaders of one of their lodges as the Grand Poobah, right? So, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that you've seen some of this, and uh, we, we might get into a little bit more of that here later. But uh, this book is called Ancient Arabic Order of the Nobles of the Mystic Shrine for North America, The History of the Order. Uh, and this was written in 1902 and published in 1903. And uh, we'll get right here into the introduction from the author here of the book. And it says, To the nobles of the mystic shrine, believing that every noble of our order would be interested in knowing its origin and history, I have collected from the best and most reliable source as much data on the subject as can be obtained. Being indebted to illustrious nobles Dr. Walter M. Fleming, 33rd degree, and William S. Patterson, 33rd degree, for a major portion commencing from the year of the Hijra, 25, which would be A.D. 644, at Mecca in Arabia to its introduction into America by illustrious noble William J. Florence, 32nd degree, June 16, 1871. Fraternally yours, noble George L. Root of Muhammad Temple, Peoria, Illinois, June 24, 1903. Okay, so basically this guy, uh, he sources in the beginning part of the book here other people's histories of the order. He goes back to uh, uh, what are some older writings that agree upon this. And this one, I think, is the 13th iteration of the history. And it's the, the 13th retelling of the history, the 13th generation of it, of the retelling of the history as put down by the gentleman that he'll be quoting from here in the beginning phase. So let's read on. So he has a little dedication here. It says, To the nobles of Mohammed Temple, this volume is fraternally dedicated by the author. And then there's a letter here, dated March 17th, 1902. And it's, uh, it's addressed to George L. Root. My dear illustrious noble, I am in receipt of yours of the 13th instance relative to using my quote, history of the shrine, end quote. Personally, I have no objection, especially if for distribution to nobles of the order. I do not think Noble Patterson would object either if credited to its authors and not used as an advertisement. If the intent is simply to use it as a vehicle to exploit advertisements, it certainly would not be right, and it would be doubtless create trouble through Mecca Temple, New York, and many others who have forbidden such a course many times. But if it be an issue of history and information with temple list, etc., solely confined to the order proper itself, it is all right. Trusting this reply will be accepted in good faith and not misinterpreted. I am, my dear illustrious noble, courteously yours, Walter M. Fleming, M.D., 33rd degree, Hotel Victoria, New York. So, essentially, what uh, Dr. Fleming, uh, who's one of the ones that's attributed with this writing, along with the other, uh, the noble mentioned here, Noble Patterson, these two gentlemen were the ones that compiled all the history of the shrine. And uh, they go, went ahead and gave George L. Root, the author of this book, permission to go ahead and use their writings as long as he attributes it to them, first of all, uh, citing them as the source. They, they wouldn't mind that. But they also wanted it 
significantly understood that this does not go outside of this order, okay? This does not leave the, uh, the temple, so to say. Uh, so, uh, that being the case, this is for the eyes of initiates of the mystic shrine only, okay? This is not for any outsiders. It's not for advertising purposes. It's only to convey the history to those members in good standing of the order. Uh, so he made that abundantly clear to this gentleman. So now we'll get right into the meat of the matter here. We'll read on about the origins of the order. Origin of the order. The order of the nobles of the mystic shrine was instituted by the Mohammedan Caliph Ali, and it says in parentheses here, whose name be praised with an exclamation point, the cousin German and son-in-law of the prophet Mohammed, and it says once here in parentheses, God favor and preserve him with an exclamation point, in the year of the Hijra 25, and it says in parentheses, AD 644, at Mecca in Arabia as an committee to dispense justice and execute punishment upon criminals who escaped their just deserts through the tardiness of the courts and also to promote religious toleration among cultured men of all nations and i'm going to pause there for a moment folks so essentially the order of the nobles of the mystic shrine was instituted by uh mohammed well mohammed's son-in-law right this gentleman related to mohammed and his name was Khalif Ali, uh, and uh, he instituted the order of the nobles of the Mystic Shrine in the year 644 in Mecca. And he did this as a response to, uh, you know, basically vigilante justice. Uh, that That's what the story says here. Because did you listen to what I just said? Uh, so essentially the, the order of Shriners was inducted and, and began uh, it was uh, founded with the intent that uh, these people would hunt down and kill criminals. Uh, it's a vigilante system. Uh, and this is why <laughs> uh, there's so much secrecy involved with this order, first and foremost, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, this is not something that uh, is, is really that... How do I put this? How do I phrase this exactly? without sounding like judgmental here it's not something that would be uh, really tolerated in the light of day so so to say but let, let's read on here and read a little bit more about that because even though they claim to have good justification here because uh, they say here these uh, criminals or, or whatever um were didn't get the, what they deserved because of the tardiness of the courts so they're blaming the court systems for not being practical enough or pragmatic enough with them and, and so that that kind of they in their view justifies their actions here as being you know dispensing vigilante type justice uh, in their their view okay and it also says here that it's also uh, to promote religious toleration among cultured men of all nations Okay, so uh, that's that's also one of the things that they say they're they're fundamentally founded upon. Uh, so let's read on. We'll get right to the next sentence here. 
The original intention was to form a band of men of sterling worth who would, without fear or favor, upon a valid accusation, try, judge, and execute, if need be, within the hour, having taken precautions as to secrecy and security. I'm going to read that again, just so you get an idea um, what this is about here. The original intention was to form a band of men of sterling worth who would, without fear or favor, upon a valid accusation, try, judge, and execute, if need be, within the hour, having taken precautions as to secrecy and security. They sought people out who they thought uh, behaved immorally and executed them, folks. That's what this order was founded upon. All right? Let's read on here. And it, they notice here it says, having taken precautions as to secrecy and security, because they know this is not something that would be tolerated in the light of day, right? They know it's wrong. And, and that's what I say about uh, so many of these, these different types of organizations and uh, the different reasons why ethics committees and things like this are formed. Because they know, they inherently know what they want to do is wrong. But they're just looking for ways to justify it, right? Uh, so it's, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, many of these secret society groups. They, they try to come up with justifications for acting in the ways that they do by keeping the secrecy. Oh, it's, it's justified to keep the secret. You don't want to cast your pearls before swine. It, do you see how they, they operate here? But it's, it's, not, it's not above board, folks. And that's the bottom line here. It's not above board. Let's read on, though, okay? The nobles perfected their organization and did such prompt and efficient work that they excited alarm and even consternation in the hearts of the evildoers in all countries under the star and crescent. So I'm going to pause there again. So basically, um, you know, back in those early days, um, they, they, you know, adopted the symbol of the star and crescent and um, people were in fear of this group of people because they were so savage, so to say. Um, they, they were so swift in uh, executing anyone that they saw as having done wrong. Because you see here, when we go back and we read that a little earlier, it's, it's here, it says here they were looking for men of sterling worth who would, without fear or favor, upon a valid accusation, not even, uh, you know, anything confirmed, an accusation, they would try judge, and execute if need be uh, within the hour, having taken precautions as to secrecy and security. So they would seek out these criminals or these people who they viewed as criminals. Uh, they would try them in a type of mock trial, and we'll read a little more about that later. They would judge them, and if they were found guilty and it was you know something that they deemed heinous enough, they would execute these people. And uh, many of their initiatory rites actually reflect some of these things. Uh, in one of their initiation rites, uh, part of the rite is a shows a, a mock beheading. Um, uh, another one shows a mock hanging. I, I have their initiation manual, folks. I, I have their initiation manual. I, I could show you uh, some of these different initiation things they do. I mean, it's... It's all staged and it's all an act and everything, but uh, the initiate might not necessarily realize that at first. 
and they'll always say they come up with all justifications for these these ceremonies that they do and these blood oaths that they take right they, they'll tell you oh it's you know it's just tradition it's it you know it, it's just tradition it's you know you, you don't have to take that all seriously it's all symbolic this and that and uh, that's the excuses they use right but uh uh, it's deadly serious because it's based upon part of their historical foundations. Uh, some of these initiation rites and stuff they take. Uh, so anyway, let, let's read on here. Where did we leave off? Okay. The Order is yet one of the most highly favored among the many secret societies which abound in Oriental countries and gathers around its shrines a select few of the best educated and cultured classes. Their ostensible object is to increase the faith and fidelity of all true believers in Allah. And then it says in parentheses here, whose name be exalted with an exclamation point. Let me read on. The secret and real purpose can only be made known to those who have encircled the mystic shrine according to the instructions in the Book of the Constitution and the regulations of the Imperial Council. Its membership in all countries includes Christians, Israelites, Muslim, and men in high positions of learning and of power. One of the most noted patrons of the order was the late Khedive of Egypt, whose name be revered, it says in parentheses again, whose inclination towards Christians is well known. Um, I'm going to pause there. I'm assuming that uh, this... Uh, <laughs> late Khedive of Egypt, uh, I, you know, maybe his inclination towards Christians was not so good. Uh, I don't know. I can't really infer that from the reading here, but it says it was well known. Uh, so I'm assuming, you know, based upon some historical facts and stuff like that, that it probably was not a very good uh, attitude about Christians. Uh, so let's put it that way. But let's read on. The nobles of the mystic shrine are sometimes mistaken for certain orders of the dervishes, such as those known as the Hanafiyah, Rufayiyah, Sidiriyah, and others, either howling, whirling, dancing, or barking, but this is an error. The only connection that the order ever had with any sect of dervishes was with that called the Bektosh. This warlike sect undertook to favor and protect the nobles in a time of great peril and have ever since been counted among its most honored patrons. The famous Arab known as Bektosh, from a peculiar high white hat, or sorry, from a peculiar white high white hat or cap which he made from a sleeve of his gown, the founder of the sect named in his honor was an imam in the army of the Sultan Amarath I, the first Mohammedan who led an army into Europe. A.D. 1360 in the year of Hijra 761. And I'm going to pause for a moment there. When, when you hear me saying the year of Hijra, Hijra is, uh, this, this was the uh, calendar uh, and it's a lunar calendar that was adopted by uh, the Muslims or the, the Islamic uh, faith or this, these uh, Islamic groups in 622 A.D. Uh, so they, they counted that as year one. And this has to do with uh, um, the uh, Muhammad and his followers fleeing from Mecca to Medina and arriving in Medina. And this is where they start their, their Muslim calendar from. And it's a lunar calendar. Uh, so when you hear me say, uh, you know, Hijra, the year of the Hijra, whatever year it is, 
Um, that started in 1622, or not 16, 622 AD, sorry, if I remember correctly. So that being the case, this is wherein, you know, they, they use their, their calendar, and it, it aligns in several ways uh, with the Gregorian calendar and stuff like that, but it's it's different, right? Like, we understand that the Hebrews, they have their own dating system, their own calendar that they go by. Well, this is the Islamic calendar that they go by when we're talking the year of Hijra. Uh, so let's let's read on here. So essentially, just to recap before I continue here. Uh, so th this group, the Mystic Shrine, is associated with a, a group called the Bektosh, who were known for their white hats. That sound familiar, folks? White hats, white helmets. Um, Anyway, let's read on. I don't want to get hung up on that point, but you could you could understand some of the connections made here, and we'll make more connections to some other important things later. Uh, so let, let's read on here. This sultan was the founder of the military order of the Janizaries, so-called because they were freed captives who were adopted into the faith and the army. Although his father, Orkan, began the work... Bektosh adopted a white robe and cap and instituted the ceremony of kissing the sleeve. The Bektosh dervishes are numbered by many hundred thousands, and they have several branches or offshoots, which are named after the founder of each. Among the most noted are those which have their headquarters in Cairo in Egypt, Damascus and Jerusalem in Palestine, Smyrna and Brusa in Asia Minor, Constantinople and Adrianople in Turkey in Europe, Tehran and Shiraz in Persia, Benares and many other cities in India, Tangier in Morocco, Oran in Algeria, and at Mecca in Arabia, at which latter city all branches and sects of dervishes are represented at the annual meeting which is held during the month of pilgrimage. The Bekdashia's representative at Mecca is a noble of the mystic shrine, is the chief officer of the Ali Temple of Nobles, and in 1877 was the chief of the order in Arabia. The chief must reside either at Mecca or Medina, and in either case must be present in person or by deputy at Mecca during the month of pilgrimage. The Egyptian order of nobles of the mystic shrine has been independent of the Arabian, accepting the yearly presence of the deputy in Mecca since the expedition of Ibrahim Pasha, the son of Muhammad Ali. Going to pause there. Muhammad Ali, listen to that, A-L-E-E, -E, Ali is spelled, but uh, uh, this sounds like is like name. There, there's a reason that, uh, you know, the, the boxer Cassius Clay adopted the name Muhammad Ali. Uh, so uh, let, I don't want to get hung up on that point either, but but here we go. But uh, so this guy uh, was, since the expedition of Ibrahim Pasha, the son of Muhammad Ali, the great Pasha of Egypt in 1818, when the Wahhabis were conquered... The Wahhabis were a fanatical sect who threatened to override all other power in Arabia. And I'm going to pause there. Have you heard of the Wahhabis, folks? They're still around, right? If you do any, uh, you know, study into uh, the events going on in the Middle East and things that ultimately involve Mossad and various other intelligence agency groups and military actions and, and various things that go on, uh, with uh, 
perhaps like say some type of terrorist things that happened in the Middle East, uh, you you find ties to what they call the Wahhabis in a lot of these circles. Um, so there we go. So the, this this group uh, has some connections to that. Uh, but let, let's read on. The Wahhabis were a fanatical sect who threatened to override all other power in Arabia, since. Ibrahim's conquest, they have continued only as a religious sect without direct interference with the government. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Nothing could be further from the truth in today's world, right? Um, anyway, let's, let's read on. They are haters and persecutors of all other sects and are especially bitter against all dervishes whom they denounce as heretics and abomination. In this conduct, they violate a strict and oft-repeated saying of the Prophet Muhammad. And then it says in parentheses here again, God favor and protect him, with an exclamation point. Which is, and this is, you know, allegedly quoting Muhammad here. Here's the quote. He who casts on a believer the slur of infidelity is himself an infidel, end quote. Uh, so you see, you know, here we'll pause for a second there. There's the whole idea of the infidel or infidelity. So uh, basically, Muhammad had said that, uh, wh you know, he who casts on a believer the slur of infidelity uh, is himself an infidel. That's what he said. So basically, he's saying that anybody who would call a, uh, a, a believer in their religious order uh, a, an infidel is himself an infidel. Uh, so, and yeah, I won't get into the whole uh, argument of, uh, you know, what exactly they mean by infidel and what, uh, what kinds of uh, ways they treat infidels in that system. But uh, that's, that's for another day, something like that, a discussion like that. Not something I wanted to get into here with this, but I just want to point out some of the roots of this organization that has so much power in this world. And a lot of people don't realize it. And a lot of people think, well, these are just, you know, they're, they're good guys. I mean, they, they, they built Shriner, they built, the Shriners built children's hospitals, right? They fund all of these things. They, they do the circus and, you know, it's, it's all kinds of charity work that they do, right? And on the surface, yeah, there's a lot of that. And that's, that's what it is for, you know, many of the lower uh, tier members of this order. Uh, but uh, there are some at the higher-most echelons, and we'll get into that later, that uh, lock elbows with others of other groups. So, you know, um, let's, let's continue on here. All Mohammedans respect everyone who has made a pilgrimage to Mecca and who will repeat the formula of the creed, and, and I quote here, here's the creed, there is no deity but Allah, end quote, without reference to what his private belief may be, or they have a maxim, quote, the interior belong, belongs to God alone, end quote. So essentially what it says here is as long as you acknowledge Allah, or Allah, as the only God on the surface, they're not going to ask you if you believe that. They just want you to say it, to give the lip service, right? And they won't pry any further. Uh, so that's the thing, because they, you know, they. this is a group that, uh, uh, right along with Freemasonry, will accept you if you believe in a God. They don't ask you which one. And uh, that's, that's one of the only prerequisites. Uh, you have to be in good standing and be recommended by another member, 
right? And uh, as far as the, the mystic shrine goes, you actually have to be a Freemason of at least the 32nd degree Scottish Rite or a uh, Knight Templar, which would involve at least bare minimum 9th degree York Rite of Freemasonry. And that's it. <laughs> and you can't become a Shriner unless you are one of those. So, uh, anyway, let's read on here. The nobles of the Mystic Shrine are eminent for their broad and Catholic toleration. <laughs> so, see that? They, they're patting themselves on the back for being tolerant of Catholics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I give them credit for that, too, but that's beside the point. <laughs> anyway, let's read on. The noble who holds to a belief in a supreme or most high is never questioned as to any definition of that belief. The finite cannot define the infinite, although it may be conscious of its existence. So that reinforces the idea. They don't care if you believe in which God you believe in, as long as you believe in a God. Uh, but uh, just give lip service to Allah when you're... In within this order, right? And you don't have to say who you think Allah is. It's just you know another name for God, right? Uh, so they that this is how they believe. They they're not going to pry any further than that. As long as you give lip service and uh, you believe in a God, that's all they care about. Uh, so let's let's continue on. The character of the order, as it appears to the uninitiated, is that of a politico-religious society. It is really more than such a society could be, and there are hidden meanings in this its simplest symbols that take hold on the profoundest depths of the heart. We may illustrate by an example. There are rays of light about the Sphinx and Pyramid. Each ray is numbered and has its appropriate signification. In general, Hold on, sorry about that. In general, light is the symbol of intelligence. You hear that? I'm going to pause for a second. Here we go, light, the symbol of intelligence. And with these people, it's always about light. Well, what is light represented by? Uh, what archetypal uh, entity, so to say, represents light? Well, Lucifer, right? So, uh, you know, light, they equate this to intelligence, and once again, this, this falls back to the Promethean idea, right? That uh, uh, man was held prisoner in the Garden of Eden, and uh, Lucifer uh, set man free with the gift of intellect, right? That's what they tell in these ancient mystery school teachings that come forward uh, in all these secret societies, right? It's, you know, they say it's an allegory, it's a metaphor, uh, however they want to say it. But they say primordial knowing is what set man free uh, from being captive in nature, in the Garden of Eden. And his intelligence, or his intellect, will help him to become a god and achieve apotheosis and ascend, right? And become god himself, and that's what these people believe, that's what they teach, that's, you know, the fundamental Luciferian philosophy as taught by all of these different secret society groups uh, at the core of everything. So, uh, but let's read on because it's talking a little bit about some of their symbols here. So it says, in general, light is the symbol of intelligence. Uh, where did I leave off? There it is. The, through intelligence, the world is governed, and the spread of knowledge renders crime and meanness unprofitable. And through the scheme of the order, impossible for the criminal to escape just punishment. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? 
in what's being said um, and, and some of the things that have been revealed here so far. So let's read on. I, I don't want to put words in their mouth. I, I don't think I need to. Okay, let's read on. Among the modern promoters of the principles of the order in Europe, one of the most noted was Herr Adam Weishaupt, a Rosicrucian, Rosecross mystic, and professor of law in the University of Ingolstadt in Bavaria, who revived the order in that city on May 1st, 1776. I'm going to pause right there, folks. You know who Adam Weishaupt was and what they're talking about here? The Illuminati. So essentially, they're saying the mystic shrine is synonymous with the Illuminati. And they actually name the Illuminati by name a couple sentences down here. Let me read on. Its members exercised a profound influence before and during the French Revolution, when they were known as the Illuminati, and they professed to be teachers of philosophy, to ray forth from their secret society the light of science over all mankind without fear or favor, to diffuse the purest principles of virtue, in short, restating the teachings of Aristotle, Pythagoras, Plato, Confucius, and other philosophers. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Did you hear it? Let me read that again. Let me read that again. Its members exercised a profound influence before and during the French Revolution. And I'll pause for a second there. Think of the implications here. All right. This Remember, this was 1902 this was written. Okay. 1902. They understood full well the Illuminati had influence within the French Revolution and were responsible for much of the violence inherent in the French Revolution. Even back then, in within these secret society groups, okay? You won't find that in any mainstream history book anywhere, though. They knew. They still know. They've always known. But see, the thing is, the Illuminati, that's part of their group. That's them. That's who they are under a different name. Today. Right now. And, you know, people will say, oh, that's, that's debunked. That's debunked, uh, you know, the... The, the Illuminati, that was just wise hopped back in Bavaria, and that got broken up, and it disappeared in 1790, and it was gone. No, there's, there's a clear thread when you actually go back and look through some of these secret books that these secret societies have kept hidden for, you know, a century or two, right? Um, or, you know, for many, many decades. But you, you cannot find this stuff uh, without... The, the modern tools we have right now, uh, ha having everything become digitized and put on the internet has been one of the most marvelous uh, things that could happen with information, but it's also one of the most dangerous things that could happen with information, right? We have access to this stuff, whereas if you go back 30 years, you could not find this stuff. You would have to, you know, go rooting through some old dusty Masonic library uh, and go to the back section of the library and dig on the bottom shelf to find a book like this. And, uh, you know, even then, then you would have to go through the boring, dry reading of many of these things. Uh, so that being the case, many people did not undertake that kind of a, a, uh, a stance 30 years ago. 
But now this stuff is researching is a lot easier these days with modern tools. And that's why these modern technologies are both a blessing and a curse at the same time. Because we see how they're being used. I mean, they're a tool like anything else. They could be used for good or bad. I like to use them for good. I like to use them to dig out some of these secrets. And we've only just, uh, you know, scratched the surface here, folks. Let's read on here. So where did we leave off? Okay. From the Central Society at Ingolstadt, branches spread out through all Europe. Among the members, there are recorded the names of Frederick the Great, Mirabeau, a Duke of Orleans, many members of royal families, literary, scientific, and professional men, including the illustrious Goethe, Spinoza, Kant, Lord Bacon, and a long list besides whose works enlarge and free the mind from the influence of dogma and prejudice. So I'm going to pause there. Did you hear all of those names that you would recognize if you studied any type of philosophy or looked into any of these occult topics? Uh, Goethe, Spinoza, Kant, Lord Bacon, that's Sir Francis Bacon. Uh, have you heard of Sir Francis Bacon? Do you know who he is? Do you know he's probably William Shakespeare? That William Shakespeare is probably his pen name. They know this in the secret societies. <laughs> so these, these are the people because these are members. These guys were members. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's read on here. Uh, hold on. I just lost my place. <laughs> Bear with me. Um, let's see. Where were we? Uh, okay. Back where we were. All right. Frequent revolutions in Arabia, Persia, and Turkey have obscured the order from time to time, as appears from the many breaks in the continuity of the records at Mecca, but it has as often been revived. Some of the most notable revivals are those at Mecca and Aleppo in A.D. 1698, which is uh, A.H., which means... Uh, uh, Otto Hijra, which means after Hijra, and that's after the year 622 AD, which was, uh, which is the Islamic dating system here. So it's AH 1110, and I'm going to pause for a moment there. All right, because this is this is something that uh, is very important here. Okay, so in the year 1698 AD which is the year of Hijra, 1110, uh, there was a large revival of the mystics, the nobles of the mystic shrine, right, of this group that had disappeared and gone underground and disappeared from uh, the radar for quite a while. Well, they had a reemergence in the modern era in 1698, which is the year 1110 in Hijra, in their, on their Hijra calendar. So, this is an important thing because uh, this is encoded on the back of our dollar bill. And uh, you may want to go and look up an old breakdown done by Bill Cooper and others of uh, the Roman numerals on the back of the dollar bill uh, that uh, spell out the year 1776 in Roman numerals. And how if you draw them, uh, the logo should be coming up on my screen here, uh, and put them on the points of a triangle, how they will add up on the top points to 1110. And if you add up the bottom points of all the triangles, you'll get 666. Six, six. 
Uh, so, you know, 1776 minus 666 is 1110. Now, 1110 AD uh, was supposedly some type of an important year, but I could never find any particular type of a uh, an event that happened of importance to tie that to this on the back of the dollar bill. But lo and behold, if you go by the Hijra year, 1110-1698, this was the reemergence of the Illuminati, uh, known by the, as the Order of the Mystic Shrine back then, under the Arabic uh, designation, as it were. And this is around about the same time that uh, the, the major societies of Freemasonry were founded. Uh, 1717, I think, is when the Grand Lodge in London was founded. So within this era, this is when the reemergence of these secret societies as real uh, powerhouses in this world came about. Uh, and shortly thereafter, you see how uh, Weishaupt went ahead and formed the uh, Bavarian Order of the Illuminati uh, and was able to uh, spread out throughout the world and infiltrate various governments and businesses and things of that nature. And it still goes on to this day, just under different names. It's all the same thing, all right? And yes, these groups are all related to the Jesuits, too, for anybody wondering. It's all the same. There are just two different factions of the same secret society groups, for the most part, who butt heads at the topmost levels, but uh, they all teach the same things. That's the bottom line, and they all understand that they teach the same things. Okay? So, that being the case, you could see how... Uh, you know, this might be an important aspect of things because it's encoded on the back of the dollar bill. Maybe this is referencing the reemergence of the secret societies in to positions of power within government circles, uh, going back to 1698 or the uh, Hijra year 1110, encoded there with the 666, which I don't think I have to really, you know, point out too much of what that symbolizes. Uh, on the back of the dollar bill when you do this breakdown this way. So I would highly recommend to look up those videos and see if you could find it where uh, somebody will break down, uh, you know, the the number and code of, the, you know, the Roman numerals and the different symbolism on the back of the dollar bill under the, uh, you know, the pyramid with the all-seeing eye and all of that stuff. So if you find that, go take a look at that and then maybe you'll have a little bit more of a revelation of, of what I'm trying to convey here with that little side tangent. So uh, let's read on though, but it says here about some of their most notable revivals were in Mecca and Aleppo in AD 1698, which is 1110 year of Hijra, and at Cairo in AD 1837, which would be year of Hijra 1253, the latter under the protection of the Khedive of Egypt, who recognized the order as a powerful means of civilization. Among the renowned patrons of the order in Arabia was the Imam, or Sheikh Abu Il-Barakat Abd Ullah ibn Abd al-Nasafi. And I'm glad I don't have to say those names every day. <laughs> well known among scholars by the title of Hafiz, Hafizuddin. Hafizuddin, and who died 
1330, or year of Hijra 731. Arabic writers say of him that he was, quote, the scientific and learned imam, the lord of the ingenious and the gifted prince, the support of the excellent, a rare example of manly virtue in the ages. Our eyes never beheld his equal, our lord, the teacher and guardian of our order, end quote. Uh, you see why these guys love their titles and stuff so much, don't you? Uh, it's, it's, it's all hubris and it's all ego, right? But let's, let's read on. The poet Hafiz is honored in Persia, as Byron is in England, and their works are similar in many respects. Treating of wine and women with an unequaled richness of vocabulary and ideality. Strict Mohammedans reject the writing of Hafiz as too suggestive, but yet he is more widely read than any other writer in the East by members of the order who alone can fully appreciate the many secret allusions in his verse. And I'm going to pause there, folks. If you could find writings of this guy, Hafiz, look into them because there's veiled references to some of these, uh, um, you know, uh, kind of um, symbols and uh, a lot of the Twilight language type things in there, apparently. Uh, and that's what uh, this guy is writing about here. So his uh, secret, many secret allusions in his verse. So let's read on, though. In the year A.D. 804, during a warlike expedition against the Byzantine emperor Nikephorus, the most famous Arabian caliph, Harun al-Rashid, deputed a renowned scholar... Abd al-Qadir al-Baghdadi to proceed to Aleppo, Syria and found a college there for the propagation of the religion of the Prophet Muhammad. And then it says in parentheses here, once again, God favor and preserve him with an exclamation point. The work and college arose and the order of nobles was revived there as a part of the means of civilization. I'm going to read that last sentence again so you understand what it is they're trying to do here. Okay? It's all about infiltrating all of society and taking positions of power in different places. All right? So let's read that again. The work and college arose, and the order of nobles was revived there as a part. Hold on, where did it go? Here it is. As a part of the means of civilization. So uh, their intention here is to infiltrate uh, control structures in this world, right? Steer the masses. Social engineering. So it's basically saying there their goal is social engineering in modern parlance. Let's read on. <clears throat> Nearly three centuries after the death of the great caliph and patron of learning, the order of nobles was revived at Baghdad by Abd el-Qadir Gilani, a noted Persian, an eminent doctor of the Sufi sect. And this was year of Hijra 555, or A.D. 1160. Among the traditions of the order occurs this very significant record. Quote, In no single instance has the government in any country ventured openly to oppose the silent, secret workings of the nobles, although the secret agents of the government are always present and exercise a careful surveillance in every mystic temple. End quote. So, what does that tell you? Um, this, this, the government's? 
they they watch these secret society groups, right? But they watch them at arm's length. They they keep their distance. They they want to be in the temples and see what's going on, but they won't do anything about the actions of these groups. And this is how the intelligence community works as well. Same kind of situation here. See, the secret societies were the original intelligence agencies, and they are still interlocked with intelligence agencies to this day. So government has little say in the things that they do. Okay, so as we were talking about this kind of vigilanteism that the order was founded on, um, you know, you, you put two and two together yourself and figure out, uh, se you know, secret society groups, uh, intelligence agencies, what kinds of things do they do? Hmm. Um, what kinds of things do intelligence agencies do in this world? And why is it that, you know, they're never held to account for bad things that may happen in the name of justice? Right? Well, maybe now you have a little better understanding as to why these things exist and why, you know, these different agencies or, uh, you know, intelligence uh, assets get away with doing the things they do. Uh, so let's, let's read on, though. Uh, the leading spirits of the order are found in every circle of the higher classes, even including the functionaries of government, and exert an influence in proportion to their position, dangerous to the vicious, beneficial to the virtuous. So did you hear that? So um, the leading spirits of the order are found in every circle of the higher classes, even including the functionaries of government, and exert an influence in proportion to their position. Dangerous to the vicious, beneficial to the virtuous. And uh, who's the vicious and who's the virtuous, folks, and who's making that distinction? Hmm? That's where this becomes really dangerous really fast, doesn't it? The Order of Nobles of the Mystic Shrine in America does not advocate Mohammedanism as a sect, but inculcates the same respect to deity here as in Arabia and elsewhere, and hence the secret of its profound grasp on the intellect and heart of all cultured people. So, essentially what they're saying is they don't care if you're Muslim or not, you could still... Uh, join this group. They're not going to ask. They just want you to give lip service to Allah. And uh, as long as, you know, you keep that secret to yourself as to who your God is or if you have one, they're good with that. They're not going to pry. They just want you to make lip service. Okay? Keeping up appearances, folks. That's what it's about, right? Same thing with the external functions of this secret society group. The keeping up appearances uh, let's let's read on here the ritual now in use is a translation from the original arabic found preserved in the archives of the order at aleppo syria when it was brought in 1860 to london england by rizik allah hassoun effendi who was the author of several important works in arabic one of which was a metrical version of the book of job his history of Islam offended the Turkish government because of its humanitarian principles, and he was forced to leave his native country. He was a ripe scholar in Arabic poetry and the general literature of the age, and his improvements in the direction of certain parts of the ritual of the shrine are of great beauty and value. In the year 1698, going to pause there again, remember 1698, that's the year 1110, right according to the 
Islamic calendar that they follow. Yisra, right? Is that how it's pronounced? Let's read on. In the year 1698, the learned Orientalist Luigi Maracci, who was the ju- who was then just completing his great works, the Quran in Latin and Arabic with notes, and the Bible in Arabic, at Padua in Italy, was initiated into our order of nobles and found time to translate the ritual into Italian. The initiated will be able to see how deeply significant this fact is when the history of the Italian society of the Carbonari is recalled. And I'm going to pause there, folks. If you haven't heard of the Carbonari, look it up. C-A-R-B-O-N-A-R-I. Okay? These are some of the, the people that really run the show in this world. Uh, to make make it a simple point here, uh, Italy. Okay, we're going back to Italy. What else is in Italy? Well, we'll, we'll get there. I don't want to get too far ahead of, of myself here. But uh, these admissions in this book are startling, to say the least. This was 1902 this was written, remember. And it's telling the, the reader here, because this was intended only for people within their secret society, within their order, right? It says, the initiated will be able to see how deeply significant this fact is when the history of the Italian society of the Carbonari is recalled. They know, folks. They've always known. They still know. Okay? They know. And uh, the public, largely, doesn't have the first clue about this stuff. But let's read on. I don't want to get in too much of a side tangent about uh, where the power circles of this world lie, but uh, you could put two and two together. You're smart people if you're listening to this. The very existence of Italian unity and liberty depended largely on the nobles, who were represented by Count Cavour, Mazzini, Garibaldi, and the King, Victor Emmanuel. going to pause there. Do you recognize those names, folks? Mazzini, Garibaldi, Count Cavour, the king, Victor Emmanuel, and uh, these were were represented. They represented the nobles of the shrine. So these these people were members in good standing. Hmm? You see, although Maracci was confessor to His Holiness Pope Innocent the Eleventh for several years. Yet he was censured by the College of the Propaganda at Rome. Going to pause there. You ever hear of P2 in Rome? Propaganda do I? Hmm? Uh, it, that, th- this all has some very nefarious ties, folks. Uh, P2 and the, all of that. Th- this has ties to the mafia, the mob, the intelligence community, uh, the, uh, like all the, the connections are endless here, okay? Let's put it that way. But this group is central to all of that, just so you understand. All right, let's read on. Again, I don't want to get hung up on these points, but uh, like I said, you folks, you're, if you're listening to this, you're smart people. You could put two and two together, connect the dots, do your own research, have a better understanding of this stuff. Um, 
So let's read on, though. It says here, uh, where did I leave off? Although Maranchi was confessor to his holiness, Pope Innocent XI, for several years, yet he was censured by the College of the Propaganda at Rome for having aided and abetted the work of a secret society, and the book was condemned to be burnt. A few copies were saved, and one is still preserved in the library of the synagogue, which stands just inside the ancient Roman gate of the city of Babylon, called by the Arabs Fostat, in the Middle Ages, and now known as Old Cairo. And I would add, folks, it's probably sitting in the Vatican archives right now. Uh, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Let's read on. In making the present version, the translator has had the benefit of the work of Al-Nasafi, of Marachi, and of Hassoun. The rendering is literal where the idiom permitted, except where a local reference required the substitution of American for Oriental names of cities. The work was perfected in August 1870 under the supervision of Dr. Walter M. Fleming, 33rd degree, Sovereign Grand Inspector General, Ancient Accepted right, Scottish Rite, and Past Eminent Commander of Columbian Com Commandery No. 1, Knights Templar, New York, who received his instructions and authority from Rizik Allah Hassoun Effendi, who had competent jurisdiction for America. The ritual is known in Arabia as, quote, the pillar of society, end quote, which is an honorary title given only to persons of very great distinction in the service of truth, justice, and mercy, and the support of learning and culture, and was by courtesy attached to this work as originally written by the renowned Al-Nasafi, the Hafiz, the Persian poet. The salutation of distinction among the faithful is, quote, Es salamu aliakum, peace be with you, is what it translates as. To which is returned the gracious wish, aliakum es salam, with you be peace. The jewel of the order is a crescent formed of any substance. The most valued materials are the claws of the royal Bengal tiger, united at their bases in a gold setting, which includes their tips, and bears on one side of the center of the head of, the sp of a sphinx, and on the other a pyramid, urn, and star, with the date of the wearer's reception of the order and the motto, written in three languages, or Arabic, Latin, and English, and in Arabic it's Kuwat wa Gadab, in Latin it's Robur et Fuhrer, and in English it says Strength and Fury. The crescent has been a favorite religious emblem in all ages in the Orient, and also a political ensign in some countries, such as in modern Turkey and Persia. The ancient Greeks used the crescent as an emblem of the universal mother of all living things, the virgin mother of all souls, who was known as Diana, Artemis, Phoebe, Cynthia, and other names, and I'm going to pause there and I'll add Isis to the mix, folks varying with the character of her attributes in different localities. The chief seat of the Diana cult and worship was at Ephesus, and the great temple built in her honor at that city was the pride and glory of the Greeks. And I'm going to pause for a second there, folks. If you're having a, a hard time picturing what we're talking about uh, with this symbol here, look at the symbol of the Shriners, okay, the Mystic Shrine. It's got the, the scimitar, and then there's the head of the Sphinx, and uh, those are tiger claws, and there's a star hanging underneath. Look at that symbol. That's what it's talking about, of these uh, various uh, 
things here, speaking of the symbol, and we'll, we'll get a little more into that as we read on here. So let's, let's continue. The secret knowledge, symbolized by the crescent, has always had its devotees in every age in all civilized countries, and it is yet the master key to all wisdom. The Greek philosopher Plato, when asked the source of his knowledge, referred to Pythagoras. If we consult the writings of Pythagoras, we shall find that he points to the Far East, whence he derived his instruction. In imitation of the humility of the wisest of mankind, we look to the East for light and find placed there the beautiful emblem of a newborn light, the crescent. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So you see, they revere Pythagoras. They say he was the wisest of mankind, right? Pythagoras. Who else is considered the wisest of mankind in the Bible? Solomon. Solomon. Pythagoras. Solomon. You see some of the connections that they make here? Let's read on. This is yet only a symbol and refers to a higher and purer source, the great fountain of light, the sun, which is also an emblem of the great first cause of light and intelligence. And I'm going to pause there for a second. So you see, they were saying the emblem of the crescent is the newborn light in the east. So they're looking at the crescent moon, folks. And they're acknowledging here in this next part that it reflects the light of the sun, which is the greater fountain, the, first, the great first cause of light and intelligence. Uh, so once again, it falls back on these same ideas over and over and over again through all these secret society groups and from all these ancient mystery school teachings. It's all the same thing, right? Thus do we lead the mind of the initiate step by step from the sterile and shifting sand of the desert, which typifies ignorance and darkness, into the halls of science, the chambers of culture, until he stands in the presence of the emblem of light and intelligence. <clears throat> in possession of the key that will open to the diligent inquirer every truth in nature's wide domain. And I'm going to pause once again and notice they like to use the word science a lot, don't they? There's a reason today that the social controllers like to push science as the big thing, right? Science. This idea is even far older than what we give credit for, too. The idea of science. Let's read on. For esoteric reasons, we hang the horns pointing downward. Going to pause there for a second. Think of this symbol of the Shriners. The horns are pointing downward. And here we're going to learn why. For esoteric reasons, we hang the horns pointing downward, representing the setting moon of the old faith at the moment of the rising sun of the new faith in the brotherhood of all mankind, the essential unity of humanity as of one blood the children of one fatherhood. And I'm going to pause there for a second, folks. Think about that for a minute. I'm going to reread that whole sentence there and uh, ponder upon that and maybe do your own reflections into that sentence and see exactly what's being told to you here. For esoteric reasons, we hang the horns pointing downward, representing the setting moon of the old faith at the moment of the rising sun of the new faith in the brotherhood of all mankind, the essential unity of humanity as of one blood, the children of one fatherhood. 
All right, use a little imagination there, folks, and it doesn't take much imagination. This is about communitarianism, isn't it? It's all about uh, that the greater good, one mind, one hive mind. See how all these things always tie together intrinsically into the transhumanist notion of the future? Let's read on. This use of the crescent is not to be confounded with that made in the Order of the Crescent, which was established by Sultan Salim III soon after his ascension in 1789, and which is conferred on Christians chiefly for eminent merit or services to the Turkish government. So they're telling you here, don't confuse the nobles of the mystic shrine with this other group, this uh, order of the crescent because they use some of the same symbols within this order and you know they use a lot of the same symbols throughout all of these different secret orders don't they these secret society groups um but let's read on the turkish military order called the order of the majidi also uses the crescent not simply but combined with a sun and seven triple rays and was instituted in august 1852 the constitutional authority for promulgating the principles and practice of the order was confided to Dr. Walter M. Fleming, 33rd degree, and his associates, William J. Florence, 32nd degree, Edward Eddy, 33rd degree, John W. Simons, 33rd degree, Sherwood C. Campbell, 32nd degree, Oswald Merle D'Albin, 32nd degree, James S. Chapel, 32nd degree, John A. Monroe, 32nd degree. The last seven, it says here in parentheses, the last seven have since entered the Unseen Temple. Means they passed away, folks. Charles T. McClenachan, 33rd degree. Albert P. Moriarty, 33rd degree. Daniel Sickles, 33rd degree. George W. Miller, 33rd degree. And William S. Patterson, 33rd degree. Together with Albert L. Rawson, 32nd degree, the Arabic translator, all prominent ancient accepted Scottish Rite Masons and Knights Templar of New York, New York, who instituted the first temple of the order in that city under the title of Mecca Temple, Nobles of the Mystic Shrine on September 26th, 1872. So going to pause there. So this is about the founding of the shrine, the Shriners, the, the, the Brotherhood, these nobles of the Mystic Shrine here in America. It came here in 1872 folks september 26 1872 is when it was founded here illustrious walter m fleming 33rd degree was chosen its presiding officer who is called the shake or the ancient and also the illustrious potentate he is known in the persian temples as the shake ali that is to say the supreme shake illustrious william s patterson 33rd degree was elected the recorder on june 6 1876 the imperial council for north america was formed and the first officers were elected as in arabia for the term of three years illustrious walter m fleming became imperial potentate and illustrious w s patterson imperial recorder for particulars it says see the constitution of the imperial council and the annual proceedings the prerequisite for membership in Europe, Asia, Africa, and America is the 32nd degree of the uh, accepted ancient Scottish Rite, 18th degree in England, or a Knight Templar in good standing. The generous pro prop 
sorry, the generous proposition to make the Order of Nobles an organization for the exercise of charity, the improvement of the mind, and an ally of the fraternity of Freemasonry in the United States was primarily adopted by the Imperial Council. Subordinate temples have been chartered in nearly every state of the Union by dispensation or in other constitutional manner under authority of the Imperial Council. And we're going to pause there for a moment, folks. Now, as you go further through this book, there's all kinds of interesting artwork loaded with symbolism in this book. Uh, and uh, we're going to go into just a little bit further here. That was the first section of the book. There's, there's others here. The next section is called Legends of the Mystic Shrine. And we might go a little bit into that because, as I recall, I think there's some important things that are stated here. Uh, and, you know, what we're going to wrap it up pretty soon, though. I think after we get through this section, we'll call it a day. All right? Because you get the idea. You, I think you understand what it's about. This will actually uh, flesh out a little bit more what this order was founded on and why. So, uh, you know, we could understand a little more about some of the belief systems here, about what's been done, what the foundational principles of this order were, and various things like that. So let's read on, and then we'll leave it there for tonight, because, you know, I think you, you get the idea here. I think, uh, you know, I've connected some dots for people. I hope I have. I hope you're connecting the dots now, and I hope you have a little bit better insight as to who the, the Shriners are. Okay, you know, the ones that dress up as clowns at the circus. <laughs> Is there a reason that clowns creep people out? I, I don't know, man. Maybe, and this might be one of the reasons, but let's read on. Legends of the Mystic Shrine. According to the ancient ritualistic provisions in the shrine's history, it was evidently established as a politico-religious order and destined to become a formidable oriental power, its mission being to aid the distressed, comfort the afflicted, protect the innocent, harmonize rank and station, overthrow fanaticism, obliterate intolerance, bring the guilty to justice, and perpetuate the welfare of mankind. And I'm going to pause there for a moment, folks. Okay, some of those, some of those ideals sound pretty lofty, don't they? Things like, uh, you know, uh, comfort the afflicted, aid the distressed, uh, you know, protect the innocent. Uh, but then you get into these other ones. Ready? I'll read these, these ones again that don't maybe sound so necessarily as nice. Um, Let's let's see. Where were they? Oh, harmonize rank and station. So they're all about order. Order out of chaos, right? Overthrow fanaticism. Please define fanaticism and who makes that definition? Are you wacky conspiracy theorists out there? Are you fanatics? <laughs> you have to keep this stuff in mind, folks, because, yeah. Anyway, let's see what else. Obliterate intolerance. Well... Uh, that, that leaves a lot of people in trouble, doesn't it? Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that uh, don't necessarily support some of the uh, movements going on in society right now. All this push for transgender nonsense and social justice warrior nonsense and, and all of these other things. Well, you're just a bigot, aren't you? If you don't support that kind of thing, 
they need to obliterate intolerance, folks. So are you intolerant? Do you not tolerate this stuff? <laughs> uh, let's, let's read on. Bring the guilty to justice. Well, who's the guilty? And what is justice? Like, these are the questions, and, and uh, these are the things that need to be strictly defined here by these people, if that's what they're pushing. Uh, so, you know, that being the case, uh, some of these ideas have... Uh, some some loaded consequences to them let's put it that way and perpetuate the welfare of mankind the welfare of mankind it's for the good of the masses see put on your mask go get your vaccine right it's it's for the common good it's for the greater good it's for the perpetuating of the welfare of mankind do you see how this all ties together how these things all work together let's read on though Thus, they become, sorry, lost my place here. Uh, that's the only problem with a digital reader. Sometimes the, the screen goes a little wonky and uh, <laughs> you have a hard time uh, keeping your place there. Thus, they become the exponents of a secret tribunal to judge and punish the traitor, the murderer, the despoiler of innocence, the violator and desecrator of sacred vows, to apprehend, judge, and execute at one conclave, striking terror to the destroying element of crime by consigning the condemned to the rack, bowstring, or pyre of the shrine, their fleet justice leaving a purifying admonition to those who knew not the fate of the departed." I'm going to go back and read that again to you folks. Let's think about this again, right? Remember the principles they were founded on, and this is exactly those same principles here. Thus, they become the exponents of a secret tribunal to judge and punish the traitor, the murderer, the despoiler of innocence, the violator and desecrator of sacred vows, to apprehend, judge, and execute at one conclave, striking terror to the destroying element of crime by consigning the condemned to the rack, bowstring, or pyre of the shrine, their fleet justice leaving a purifying admonition to those who knew not the fate of the departed." So, is this a, this is one of the oaths, as, as far as I could tell, that they take. And, and you know these people in these secret society groups, they take blood oaths. Not to betray the secrets of the society, and to carry out the orders given to them within the society and to support one another. Right? Well, it's saying here this group, uh, you know, the, their their whole purpose is to, at a moment's notice, form a secret tribunal to judge and punish these people who've committed crimes, this vigilanteism of sorts. So let's read on here, okay? It gets a little more interesting here. Let's keep going. The legendary history of the Oriental Shrine, and that's the title of a book, thus depicts one phase of the secret tribunal. And it says here, quote, The grave, stern, and masked tribunal sits in solemn council. Their terrible meditations and intent none could penetrate. Their purpose was an undecipherable, or sorry, was as undecipherable as their identity going to pause there, folks. Okay, this, this is a quote from that book, okay, about the legendary history of the Oriental Shrine. And it's talking about these secret tribunals, okay? 
Let's listen again. Quote, the grave, stern, and masked tribunal sits in solemn council. Their terrible meditations and intent none could penetrate. Their purpose was as undecipherable as their identity. So these people, they have no accountability. They keep their identity secret. They, they wear masks, okay? Let's read on. The culprit... Defiant of their secret power, when loosed from his hempen thongs, appears arraigned for judgment and stands before the piercing gaze of the tribunal with its all-powerful council of thirteen. Doggedly sullen and undismayed by the array of block, bowstring, rack, and blazing crucibles. Going to pause for a second there, folks. Did you catch that? First of all, there's the council of thirteen. Council of 13, this is their, their secret tribunal, right? The unidentified men, the secret, uh, <laughs> the, the, this tribunal, okay? Uh, the 13 unknown supervisors, have you heard that before? Let's read on, though, but it says here, oh, more about that. They talk about the array of the block, the bowstring, the rack, and blazing crucibles. Where else have we seen blazing crucibles, folks? Uh, you know, there's a certain group that was funded by, you know, Albert Pike. Um, <laughs> that's uh, a kind of uh, the same type of a secret society as Freemasonry, and it's it's called the KKK, and they burn crosses, don't they? Same type of thing going on. Let, let's read on. If guilty, he neither seeks nor expects mercy, knowing that mercy for the impious prevails not here. Their cause is justice. The palpable proofs of guilt being sure, the result is as immutable as God's decree. But still does he his innocence protest. The frowning council grant one last privilege, a final proof to justify his plea by his Muslim faith. If so he dare... He advances alone to the sacred Dios, and in token of his innocence embraces the holy nymph nymph of paradise, the ha the hori of the shrine. With joyous pace the victim hastens to the colossal statue, where in marvelous grandeur by crafty hand, beauteously carved in stone, with outstretched arms and saintly face, sweet with calm serenity, she stands, seeming even to pity from her throne. The mystic form he scarce embraces when, quick as transit of a meteor, he finds his frail body wrapped as in a vice. Those horrid arms with keen and triple-edged blades nail him, powerless and quivering to her lance-clad breast, with deadly and unerring power until crushed, carved, and gory, the expiring form is rent asunder. The hoary statue swerves apart, relaxing her fiendish grasp of stone and hurls the riven victim deep into the hideous, engulfing trap below, where grim, dark, and loathsome may be heard the distant and mon monotonous rippling of the turbid carnadine waters, echoing from the eternal chasm of the dead. The tribunal has done its duty. Retribution has fallen upon the fated malefactor, and the vengeance of the shrine is satisfied." End quote. It says, This is but one of the storied mysteries of the Oriental Shrine. So they're talking about here the Nymph of Paradise, the Hori of the Shrine. What is this, this colossal statue? It's an Iron Maiden, folks. So they stuck their 
their victims here in an Iron Maiden and cast them into a chasm below, a, a deep cave. Yep. I don't know what else to add to that. Uh, so, you know, they, they set up these tribunals. Um, and, you know, of course they're going to tell you, well, well, that doesn't still happen. That's all just myth and allegory. And, and those are just stories, right? That's what they'll tell you. Those are just stories. None of that's true. It's all symbolic, okay? It's all symbolic of initiation, right? And on one level, it kind of is, but on another level, look back at the history of this group. Look what they were founded to do, and, and this is exactly what it is. This is the spiritual predecessor of this group. This is, this is the spirit of this secret order. These are the things it represents. It's a death cult, folks. They're all death cults. It's all based upon principles of death. Death principles. That's the bottom line here. Something became horribly twisted through the ages with some of these old secret teachings. And I would argue there's no need for secret teachings. All right? Many of these uh, people in the past and, you know, all throughout time, they've uh, discovered some of these occult principles or alchemical principles of sorts and had a better understanding of how the natural world works. And they've utilized some of these secrets, so to say, these, these knowledges against other people. So that's why they've kept them secret to kind of give themselves more power over others. Uh, and uh, they've... They've been successful at socially engineering and manipulating society through these various means, okay? Through infiltrating uh, positions of power in governments and various other circles and by using intimidation tactics much like this, right? This is what they were known for back in 644 when they were founded by Mohammed's son-in-law, okay? Uh, this is what they were known for. The, the crescent and star was a symbol which represented death to the infidel, right? Or to him who uh, they see as being guilty of various things. Guilty of heresies, guilty of many of these things, and uh, who actually is the one that defines these things? And you see how it's all about the accusation. Right? If there's a justified accusation, well, then they'll form one of these committees or one of these tribunals, as to say. And this is what they did. And I'm not suggesting they go around doing that today. Um, you know, there's, there's no observable evidence of that, right? I'm not saying this is something that the, uh, your average uh, local shriner does. This kind of stuff doesn't necessarily happen on an everyday basis at all levels of, you know, the mystic shrine, right? But these are the foundations that this secret order was built upon. So these are the spiritual foundations upon which it's built. This is dark, okay? When it comes down to it, many of these things are dark and twisted. 
And that's that's the disturbing part about all of this. And they try to bend it and maneuver it and make it look like it's light, right? It's all about the light. It's all about enlightenment. It's all about, you know, uh, you know, achieving this uh, grandiose apotheosis uh, and becoming God, so to say. That's that's what they believe, right? And you notice that, uh, you know, this this particular group, you have to be well initiated into Freemasonic principles well before you can even join this order, right? Because they won't accept you unless you're 32nd degree Scottish Rite or a Knight Templar in good standing, which would be York Rite, at least ninth degree. Uh, and, you know, that that's it. So you have to go through all these different initiatory rites to begin with and understand the topmost levels of what Freemasonry is really about. You have to advance through all those ranks first before you could join this group. And then even within this group, there's other subgroups uh, that sometimes get mentioned in passing in different places. Uh, one such subgroup of the Shriners is called the Jesters, the Royal Order of Jesters. This one's considered particularly dark uh, by association. When you actually look at some of these different groups and the things that they've allegedly been involved with. Uh, so you could see how all this stuff crosses over and how it all ties back to the Illuminati, right? And that's not nonsense, as people would have you believe. That's not nonsense. Here it is. Historically written down. This 1902 book. All right. It's not fiction, folks. Illuminati, the Illuminati is not fiction. They exist. They're just known by different names. And it's actually the uppermost echelons of all these different secret society groups interlocked together in a much smaller control group at the topmost levels of all these things. They're interlocked. They're interconnected. They uh, recognize one another because they all teach the same things, right? So that's that's the bottom line here, and it all ties back to these positions of power in this world, the Carbonari, right, in Italy, which is, you know, directly associated right there with that propaganda lodge, which is also associated with the Vatican, and, you know, the Vatican's associated with the Jesuits, and all these different secret society groups all, like I said, they're interlocked at the top, the Jesuits too. They're interlocked with all these other secret society groups, and they bicker and argue sometimes and, and fight about power dynamics and stuff like that, but it's all the Illuminati. This is what you could all lump together as the Illuminati, folks. Uh, so, you know, that being said, there's a lot of different factors and factions that, that go along with this. And uh, this is one that's that's long been hidden from the Western world here. All right? The... Uh, the Ancient Arabic order of the nobles of the mystic temple, right? The mystic shrine. Sorry, I misspoke with temple. Because it is, they, they, they call their lodge a temple. And that should tell you everything you need to know about it. it. It truly is a religion of sorts, isn't it? So it's the ancient Arabic order of the noble mystic shrine nobles of the mystic shrine and that's a mouthful to say but uh, that's that's essentially what the principles of the shriners were founded upon and so they're out there covering their misdeeds with charity work 
on the surface. And they, they put on a good front here, right? They, they keep up the appearance well, don't they? And like I said, I, I don't think many, you know, of the members of these groups really have a full concept as to what they're involved in. I bet you probably, probably about 90% of the people that belong to the Mystic Shrine, they don't know this history. I bet you they don't know this history. They might have some inkling as to some of the stories, but they don't realize that this is historical. They might look at this and think it's, it's a story, it's a myth, it's an allegory, right? It's a, uh, a representation of something else. Um, but, yeah, there's actual historical threads here, and most of them have probably never been taught about the association with the Illuminati, uh, all these other associations being made. Some of them probably have, I'm sure. Many who actually would take the time to study the writings of the group and study these things and be disinvolved. So it's it's something that's concerning. And I, I don't think like all the people involved are necessarily bad. I'm sure they have good intentions, but they've taken so many blood oaths at this point when they've joined one of these secret society groups that they're compromised and they'll do what they're told because they don't want to wind up in the situation that was described at the end there, do they? They don't want to be found to have broken an oath, do they? So, <laughs> you know, with that being said, I, I think I'm going to leave it right there for tonight, folks. So if, I hope this was enlightening for everybody so that you understand uh, you know, some of the uh, intrinsic nature of many of these secret society groups, especially the really powerful ones that get up towards the top levels of the power structure, because bottom line is this, Freemasonry, that's just, that's the bottom tier, folks. Freemasonry is the bottom tier, right? That's just the gateway, all right? So when you get involved with some of these other ancillary groups, uh, you step a little further, up the power pyramid, so to say. And, uh, you know, you begin to witness certain things and understand certain things maybe that others don't. And you shut your mouth. <laughs> because uh, when you're heavily involved in something like this, you keep your mouth shut, right? Uh, so, you know, they, they don't want to be that oath breaker, do they? Uh, so... They, they know what the consequence is. And like I said, intimidation, fear, that's a big part of the control mechanism here. That's why you don't have many people speak out against this stuff. And I'm sure there's many a Mason out there and many a Shriner who would tell you everything I just told you tonight is ridiculous, right? Or that I don't understand it. And there's some depth of meaning there that uh, means something different than what's on the surface. And perhaps there are some you know, uh, esoteric encodings in there of sorts. Perhaps there's some hidden entendres in there that, you know, we would not be aware of. But uh, this is one of their historical documents, their own history of their own order, with meant only for their own members. So that being said, I think that it, uh, it definitely tells you a lot about uh, what the original intention of the founding of the order was and what the, the spiritual influence of the order is all about. And we'll just leave it there, folks. So, uh, like I said, I hope it's been enlightening. I hope you've learned a lot through this. And uh, 
We'll explore some more of these topics next time.
to see the tree. 